Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you had fantastic weekends. I'm going to dive right into the big mess that is college football as everything is in an uproar there where I think we're headed, what is going on now. Uh, Super Bowl coming up this weekend. I will be out doing shows Thursday and Friday from Las Vegas. It is going to be chaotic. It is going to be enjoyable. It is going to be a frenzy uh, surrounding the Super Bowl out there. New NBC News poll has Donald Trump up four or five points in the uh, race, but there are a bunch of underlying issues that I flagged that I thought were so interesting. Uh, Joe Biden has elected not to do a presidential interview with CBS News. He also didn't do it last year with Fox. What's going on there? Why is Biden being hidden? We will talk a little bit about that as well, but I want to start with an article that I have up at OutKick right now that I would encourage all of you to go check out. Everybody is all fired up about what's going on in college football right now. And uh, I, I think it's important to just kind of assess where we are, where we're going, and what is creating a huge mess right now. So I love college football. Let me say that right off the top. Uh, obviously, I got my career started primarily writing about college football. Some of you have watched me over the years on Fox Sports with uh, uh, with their college football pregame show. I've been on the road. I wrote a book called Dixieland Delight on Rocky Top. I don't think very many people out there love college football more than I do. Certainly not people in the media. I know a lot of you love college football. So I want to start with that. My goal is for college football to be the best version of itself. What's going on right now is untenable. Uh, the NCAA has effectively collapsed, and I want to talk about what's happened, where we're likely headed, and some of the challenges associated with this. And if you're a big college football fan, uh, I would encourage you, share this video, share this audio with a friend, talk about it, discuss it, debate it. Um, I'm not claiming that I have all of the right answers by any stretch of the imagination, but I think if you point to the problems, you can sometimes work yourself toward what a solution might end up being. Okay, so let's start here. Um, NIL has and is effectively a pay-for-play process. Uh, my friend Shannon Terry, who founded Rivals 24-7 Sports, now runs on three uh, he estimates over $200 million is being paid right now to players to pay to play uh, college football to a lesser extent to play college basketball. Probably some of this has happened in the past, but right now it's become more apparent than in past years. And so when we say NIL, what we're really talking about is not a traditional name, image, and likeness. It's being, play, being paid to play a sport. And if you are a fan of any major college football program in America, your school, through its NIL subgroups, is paying 
probably millions of dollars to athletes for them to play football. That's different than what traditional NIL was, right? NIL stands for name, image, and likeness. Let me give you an example of something traditional in name, image, and likeness. If you watch a lot of college football, you will have seen in the past season a lot of commercials for Wendy's and a lot of commercials for Dr. Pepper. It feels like every commercial during a college football game is basically for Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper this year had Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy uh, winning quarterback of the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, over the past couple of years, appearing in a bunch of commercials. Wendy's had Caleb Williams, uh, the Heisman Trophy winning USC quarterback. That is traditional name, image, and likeness. That is an endorsement where a famous athlete lends his name, image, and likeness to a product and is compensated for that. That's been going on forever, right? Back in the day, Michael Jordan with Gatorade. Uh, LeBron James with Nike. Tiger Woods with Nike. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey with State Farm. (coughs) A traditional name, image, and likeness is simply an athlete lending his brand to uh, a particular product and endorsing it, right? That's not what most of the money in college sports is for right now in college football and in college basketball. So when we talk about name, image, and likeness, understand for the most part, we're talking about compensating players to pay, to play. And the compensation for players has gotten way more significant because you have two things that are working in concert, what I call basically the Berlin Wall coming down. If you remember historically back in 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down, you went in many countries in the Eastern European area from communism to capitalism kind of overnight. And it became a version of unfettered capitalism where suddenly you could buy a missile, you could sell a kidney, there were almost no constraints on what could be sold on the open market. Uh, And some of you will remember that era. Like, you could just decide that you were going to buy, like, a munitions factory. Uh, And so, uh, or you were just going to buy, like, 50 missiles or a tank. Suddenly, everything was for sale. You could sell, and still in many countries in Eastern Europe, you can. Let's say you want to buy a kidney, You could buy a kidney, right? I mean, I'm just using that as an example of unfettered capitalism. That's what happened suddenly in college football. We went from you aren't allowed to get anything to everything's for sale. And so it wasn't just that the Berlin Wall came down and suddenly you could get players paid. It was that simultaneously, due to lawsuits, Basically, all transfer restrictions ended. So what college football has right now is unlike what virtually any sport in America, pro or college, pro or amateur, has. College football has no uh, restriction, by and large, on what players can be paid. There is no salary cap. And there's no restriction on players deciding that they want to leave and go somewhere else. In theory, I wanted to talk about this because I think it kind of is emblematic. In theory, you could have a 17-year-old recruit, five-star, 
sign with a school, sell his services, play well as a freshman, sell his services again, go somewhere new as a sophomore, sell his services again, so go somewhere new as a junior, sell his services again, go somewhere new as a senior, and maybe get a fifth year and go sell his services again. You could end up in a situation in the years ahead right now under the existing rubric in college football where a guy in the space of five years plays for four different teams. By the way, all in the same conference almost. This is crazy. Compare that with the NFL where if you're a first-round draft pick, you are locked into one team for four years. And if you're a first-round pick, the team gets an option to you for a fifth year. There's no ability for you. I mean, you can decide you don't want to play anymore. But there's no ability for a player to just say, hey, I'm leaving the San Francisco 49ers and I'm going to go sign with, like Brock Purdy is making almost no money, under a million dollars a year. Brock Purdy can't suddenly decide he's leaving the 49ers and he's going to go play for the Vegas Raiders until his contract is up. Which is why there are a lot of college football quarterbacks that will be making more this past year and this coming year to play college football than Brock Purdy is making to play in the NFL. That's a sign that the system is broken, okay? So what I'm writing about and what I would encourage all of you to go read is the direction in which we are headed um, and how all of this is going to shake out. So my argument is oftentimes economic realities and problems will dictate what direction you are going to be headed. And so I look at college athletics right now and I say the NIL landscape is untenable. And by the way, this is not even addressing the NCAA. I talked about this earlier, but the NCAA is looking at Florida State and Florida and Tennessee. They're looking at everybody. And they're now trying to say, well, we're going to penalize you for NIL-related deals. The NCAA is finished in college football. The Big Ten and the SEC entering into an agreement on Friday effectively let you know that the SEC and the Big Ten are taking control of college football. And when I look at college football right now, there are, what, 16 teams in the SEC, 20 teams in the Big Ten now after expansion. Those 36 teams, the college football programs themselves, are worth billions of dollars. And I believe right now college football is undervalued relative to the NFL. The NFL is making around $12 billion a year in television rights. College football is making somewhere in the neighborhood of $2.5 billion a year. I think you should be able to double easily what college football is worth if instead of selling all of these brands regionally, SEC sells, Big Ten sells, ACC sells, Big 12 sells. If you rolled it all in together, right, you would be able to get way more money. And by the way, you might just create your own streaming company and say, hey, we're going to own all of college football and we're going to go direct to the consumer in the years ahead. We don't need any major business partners in order to do so. I think there are billions and billions of dollars that could be made by spinning these teams off into for-profit venues, ventures. Now, that would also solve the biggest issue, all right? 
in addition to the NCAA being dead and NIL being broken, it's important to recognize that basically college football funds all athletic departments. The popularity and the success of college football is a great business. The business of soccer in college or the business of uh, swimming or the business of uh, track and field is actually an awful business, right? You would never run those businesses for profit. It is the money that college football makes that actually allows all those other teams to exist. If you purchased, let's say, uh, the University of Alabama and uh, the University of Michigan, you bought these Big Ten schools and these SEC schools, you would give a big lump sum back to the universities. The model here is actually hospitals, where if you've ever been to a university hospital, these are still affiliated with universities, but they now are for-profit businesses. The model would be you take the Big Ten, you take the SEC, you roll them in together, and you prepare yourself to sell their assets in terms of their media rights combined on the big national scale. And I think the money would be monstrous. The profit would be incredible. You also then take all of the scholarship players and you get into a CBA with them. It's called a collective bargaining agreement. Right now, all of the courts are saying any restriction on player pay is a violation of antitrust law. That's the losses that the NCAA has had at court, Supreme Court all the way up, all these circuit courts, everybody else, they're saying, NCAA, it's an antitrust violation for you to restrict what players are able to be compensated. And that's really what Tennessee and Virginia are suing under. Remember, the NCAA's entire business was, in terms of enforcement, ensuring that poor kids no matter what, remained poor. And this is one of those things where I've looked at, this is a crazy idea. All the NCAA does, historically, when they investigate players and teams, is they look at a poor kid and they say, you have to stay poor even though billions of dollars are being made off of your talents. You aren't allowed to sell your labor. You can't have a nice car. You can't have a nice apartment. Poor kid, you have to stay poor while you play college athletics. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have a rich dad or a rich mom, then there is no restriction whatsoever on how much money you can have to live your life. If you want to talk about morality, the NCAA enforcement is the most immoral thing that anybody who is a sports fan has ever signed up for. Because their entire basis for business is saying, we should get all the money off of your talent, and you should get none of it. And this obviously has come to a head. It's an example of something that I've admitted as I've aged, I've gotten more and more uncomfortable with. But remember, I mean, they suspended Todd Gurley for signing his own jersey and selling it to somebody. They suspended Johnny Manziel for signing autographs. The NCAA perspective is, if you sign the cover of a Sports Illustrated, historically, and you sell it, you're ineligible to play. But if you sign it for someone else and they sell it, someone else in your college classroom, that's totally fine. 
How did we ever create a system like this based on the artificial idol of amateurism? It's really a fascinating question. But so you can't restrict now. The courts have finally stepped in and basically said, NCAA, you are engaging in antitrust violations when you don't allow players to be able to make as much money as they can based on their talents. The the courts have been pro-capitalism. As a capitalist, I would encourage all of you out there who are listening and, and, and hearing this, I would encourage all of you out there to ask yourself why you believe that highly talented athletes should not be able to make as much money off their talents as possible. I want to make as much money off my talents as possible. I bet you do too. I've made a lot of money writing and talking about sports, much of it often at the time college football. Why should I make a lot of money talking about college football when the people that are actually playing college football don't? It's a good question for you to ask of any media member out there that is saying, oh, you can't pay players. You don't expect anybody to work for free. What has to happen is the players have to become employees. And if they become employees, they can collectively bargain with the uh, with these organizations, which would be the Big Ten and the SEC, to come to an agreement on what their payment should be. Easy way to handle it is to give them a share of the overall revenue that's produced by the work that they put in. They also can then remain students. They can remain athletes. Like th- This is not a revolutionary idea in terms of what the process would be. It would just get the court out of the business, right? Um, I think it would make more sense if when you sign with a school, much like when you're drafted by a team, I would say you can't leave for three years. Right? If you sign for a school, you stay eligible freshman, sophomore, junior year, you want to be a free agent after three years, okay, I can see that having some appeal. You can also go to the NFL then if you're very talented. But I think this idea of a scholarship is a one-year thing, and if I'm good as a freshman, I'm going to trade up and I'm going to change teams. Or if you're not very good as a freshman, you're going to get kicked to the curb by the school, I think is wrong. Also, by the way, what's coming is, There'll be lawsuits in the years ahead without a CBA where somebody says, hey, I'm going to go to grad school. I should be able to play. Why is there a five-year limit on how many years I can play college football? That's going to be a win. That's an antitrust violation. If you have a collective bargaining agreement, you get an antitrust exemption. Because the collective bargaining agreement itself, you get benefits and uh, you get detriments. It's bargained for. So it's outside the rubric of antitrust law. This is how salary caps are legal. You wonder, like, how do the NBA and the NFL have salary caps in place? It's because they're collectively bargained. Otherwise, there would be a huge lawsuit because LeBron James is probably worth, in his, in his apex, $100 million a year or more, and he can only make 50 Typically, what CBAs do is they lift the floor for the less talented players, and they pull down the ceiling for the most talented players. That's typically what unions do in general, right? When you really think about, like, what does a union do? If you're the best at what you do, you get almost no benefits from a union because you'll always be employed. If you're barely hanging on, that's the people that end up getting lifted by the union. The most skilled workers actually don't benefit very often from a union at all. In fact, they probably make a little bit less. 
That's what the history of unions would reflect. But without a CBA, you can't issue any restrictions right now. So the CBA has to happen. I think the SEC and the Big Ten, for instance, have to spin off and eventually become for-profit. That then will lead to a substantial alteration in the way that this is all organized. But I think in general, it'll benefit the players, it'll benefit the fans, and it also would mean that there's more money in the sport because instead of having a bunch of regional businesses, and let's be honest, an average athletic department is not run very efficiently as a business, that would, I think, make everybody far more successful. By the way, also, I don't know, I question legitimately much of the accounting that goes on with college athletic departments. What they say a scholarship costs, I just, I don't believe it. You can't convince me that giving 12 women scholarships to go play basketball is actually costing the university a substantial amount of money in terms of the education itself. Housing, food, okay, I'll buy into that. Travel, yes, there's cost there. Why should the athletic department be charged $50,000 for a scholarship education? There's no way that that's actually costing the university that much money, right? I think a lot of athletic department accounting, frankly, is total BS. And I think bringing more for-profit elements to the sport would actually clean up a lot of the messes that exist here. Now, some people are not going to be happy about this. They're going to immediately say, I always I love this, like people say, are they going to pay taxes? Yes. Yes. If you're an employee and you make money, you have to pay taxes. That's how America works. I don't know why everybody's so obsessed on social media with asking, well, are they going to pay taxes then? Yeah, they'll take taxes out of their paychecks. Just like everybody else. Yes, they will pay taxes, tax guy. Um, and then people are like, well, I'm not even going to watch. First of all, I think you're lying. Secondly, why do you care what kind of car a player drives or what kind of apartment or even house a player has? Why do you? Why does it make you enjoy sports more if the people who are doing it are poor? I, I don't understand that. Like, I don't ever go to a concert or a uh, pro sporting event and think, I'm not going to enjoy this. Those people are getting paid too much. I don't go to a comedy show and walk in and be like, well, I would enjoy this, but I heard the comic has a million-dollar house now, so I don't enjoy it. Every now and then people come out and they're like, I liked you better 15 years ago when you didn't have very much money. Okay, you know what I didn't? I didn't like myself 15 years ago when I had to worry about whether I was going to pay a mortgage or whether I could afford daycare. I'm sorry that now that I'm rich, you like my content less. That's actually not about me. That's about you. Really, when people are saying, I don't want to watch somebody if they're making more money, it's actually about your insecurity. It's not about the player or the entertainer. Also, it's anti-capitalistic. I want everyone in America to make as much money off their labor as they possibly can. Whether, within a for-profit context, whether you're a roofer, right, I want that roofer to be the best roofer ever. And if he's really good, I want him to start a roofing company. And I want him to employ a lot of people. I don't know, what do we got? 75 people who make a living because I started OutKick now? I think that's a good thing. 
If you run a small business, I want it to be a bigger business. If you're a successful employee, I want you to start a small business. I want all of you to be more successful in finances than you are now. That is what America is founded on. College football is actually anti-capitalism because all of the money that college football makes instead goes into less profitable endeavors, people that have less economic value. Which brings me to the flaw here. Right now, who pays for NIL? It's people like me. It's people like you. Imagine if you went to an NFL game and you sat in the stands and you paid $100 for a ticket and you paid $10 for a beer and then you also bought pay-per-view and you bought the NFL Sunday ticket and you spent all that money watching the NFL. And then the teams came to you and they said, hey, by the way, we need you to pay for all the players too. Give us some of your money that you make from your job so that we can go pay the players. This is a crazy idea, right? The business should pay for the labor. <laughs> this is, I like it. I, I, look, I've donated money to NIL. I appreciate that a lot of you may have donated as well. I encourage you to go support it while it's the system that exists now. It's the craziest idea ever. The players are going to make billions of dollars based on their labor. Then that billions of dollars, instead of going to them, is going to go to other athletic programs and other scholarships And the individual fans who already bought tickets and who already paid for pay-per-view, they're going to ask you then to pay more money so the players can get paid. That's crazy. The business should pay the players. There shouldn't be sports socialism. This is crazy. So this is the natural evolution of where we're headed. And if it makes you sad, I don't really care. The world changes. It bends, in my opinion, over time towards talented people getting paid for their work. It doesn't make sense to me that you can be a 20-year-old stud quarterback and all of the money that you make goes to women's track and field or men's soccer players. That doesn't feel fair to me. It isn't. It's socialism. It's not capitalism. So this is where things should go. It's where they're going to go. And if you're watching this right now, uh, I would encourage you to go read the article uh, so that you can uh, contemplate this. And speaking of capitalism, uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Trim your balls and your date will thank us too. What's up, fellas? Valentine's Day is knocking and Manscaped is the remedy for what the love doctor ordered. His prescription, the all-new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra. Designed to elevate your grooming game and shine like the heartthrob you are. Join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com to snag 20% off and free shipping with code OUTKICK. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code OUTKICK because your grooming upgrade awaits, ready to charm your Valentine dates. That is OUTKICK is the code at manscaped.com. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And by the way, all of that discussion of college football, I don't know how rapidly it's going to happen, but it's inevitable. This is where we're headed. And if you're right now listening to me on February 5th, 2024, and you're shaking your head, maybe it's going to happen soon. Maybe it's all going to come into fruition a decade from now. This is where we are going. The NCAA is dead. Players are going to get paid. How are they going to get paid? That is the question. I think the for-profit dynamic spinning off college football is the only one that makes sense. Some people ask about basketball. I think basketball could make sense down the road. Most basketball does not make that much money except for the NCAA tournament. And if I were out there right now, I would say to the NCAA tournament, hey, it's a nice tournament you got there. Be a shame if we took it. Because there's no reason the NCAA tournament has to be put on by the NCAA. Why does the NCAA even need to exist? I mean, it can exist for like D3 and lower level sports that are like intramural-esque, right? Where there's not big money at play. It shouldn't exist in for-profit ventures. Like the NFL doesn't have a group outside of the NFL that makes rules for it, right? The Big Ten and the SEC should make rules for the Big Ten and the SEC, particularly for college football. There shouldn't be a random third-party entity that tries to make rules. So I think college basketball, uh, college basketball, men's, a little bit of women's. I mean, the men's NCAA tournament is worth like 50 times as much or whatever the math is, as much as the women's NCAA tournament. People just watch the men's way more. That's because men's sports are more popular than women's sports. And because most people who actually watch women's sports are men, most women don't care that much about sports. I know people always get fired up. Like, I'm a woman and I like sports more than my husband. Okay. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm saying as a general rule, men like sports more than women. There are some women that like sports more than men. There's nothing wrong with that. But as a general rule, the general proposition is true. Your anecdote does not refute the veracity of my statement, right? So people get all fired up. That's all social media is. People reacting to general statements with specific examples that prove that are different and they think they somehow disprove the general statement, right? That's a whole nother story. But that is where we are headed. Um, Joe Biden uh, is not going to do an interview. I talked about this earlier with Dana Perino and... Bill Hemmer on Fox News. Second straight year, Joe Biden is not doing an interview before the Super Bowl. Now, I understand some of you out there, it's the pregame, right? It's not in the middle of the Super Bowl. Like they have like nine hours of pregame or whatever the heck it is. Uh, Joe Biden is not doing an interview. He didn't do it last year with Fox. Some people said, oh, that's because of Fox News, even though Fox Sports and Fox are different, but whatever. Um, This year, he's not doing it with CBS. I think it's a bad move. I would always advise the president to talk to as big of a possible audience as he can. I think this is evidence that Joe Biden's handlers don't trust him to be able to sit down for a long-form interview and not screw it up. 
And if you can't sit down for an interview with CBS News or Fox or ABC or NBC, how in the world am I supposed to believe that you can handle what's going on in Europe or what's going on in the Middle East or what's going on in the, uh, in the Pacific, right? I, I, I don't have no faith, right? And I think that's why 75% of people out there say Joe Biden shouldn't be running for president because he doesn't have the mental or physical ability to run for president. Not being able to sit down for what is a relatively easygoing Super Bowl interview for a second straight year is, I believe, evidence of Joe Biden's continuing dementia and decline in, uh, in uh, his mental faculties. Uh, all right, uh, I wanted to hit you with this because I thought this was super significant. NBC poll came out uh, on Sunday. Uh, and what did it say? It said that uh, Trump was up, I think, five points uh, in that poll uh, overall. I think it was 49-44, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Trump had about a five-point lead uh, in that poll. Uh, but the thing that jumped out to me was the individual issues under the poll. Uh, in particular, Trump has a dominating lead. This is what would scare me if I were a Biden person. Who do you trust more on border security? Trump has a 35-point lead, 57 to 22. Who do you trust more on the economy? Trump has a 22-point lead. Who do you trust more on dealing with crime and violence? Trump has a 21-point lead. Who do you trust more on just being competent and effective? Trump has a 16-point lead. Who do you trust more on improving America's standing in the world? Trump has an 11-point lead. And who do you trust more to have necessary mental and physical health to be president? 46 to 23, 2 to 1, people vote Trump. Biden can't win with these numbers. He can't. Because those are all of the biggest issues that Americans are going to care about. Now, Biden is in the lead in two issues in this NBC sport, uh, NBC poll. One of them is on protecting democracy. Biden now only has a two-point lead on protecting democracy in this NBC poll, 43 to 41 over Trump. In 2022, Democrats had a massive lead on this issue. This is what they used to try to avoid, along with abortion, which I'll get to in a minute, to try to avoid the red tsunami. 43 to 41. Biden has lost Jan 6th as an issue because they're trying to put Trump in prison for the rest of his life. It's hard to argue that you are going to be the savior for democracy when you are trying to put your chief political adversary in prison for the rest of his life. The reaction that we are seeing here is a testament to that. Democrats have destroyed that as a viable election issue based on this poll from NBC. Um, dealing with the issue of abortion, Biden has a 12-point lead, 44 to 32. But that issue, I think, is fading. Because I think, by and large, the states having control of abortion, if you're in California or New York, women have more rights now than they did under Roe v. Wade. Uh, and that 12-point lead for Biden isn't even that big when you consider border security Trump 35-point lead, the economy Trump 22-point lead, 
Dealing with crime and violence, Trump 21-point lead. Competent and effective, 16-point lead. Improving America's standing in the world, 11-point lead. Uh, necessary mental and physical health to be president, 23. There are essentially, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six issues for Trump that are all bigger or better advantages for him than the one issue that Biden has on abortion. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't think that they're going to hammer abortion, and I think that Biden will win a lot of female voters this way. Uh, Trump actually has a massive lead among men right now by 24 points. If men were only voting, Trump might well win all 50 states. It's pretty crazy to think about. That's how big of a lead. Biden in this poll has a 10-point lead for women. Men are overwhelmingly breaking for Trump. There's a 34-point gender disparity between the way that men and women are voting here. Women are Biden plus 10. Men are uh, Trump plus 26. Pretty crazy out there. By the way, Joe Biden with a new low overall in polling. But yeah, men support Joe uh, support Donald Trump 56 to 34, sorry, 22 point lead. Uh, and women support uh, Joe Biden by 10. Uh, so what is that? a 32 point difference uh, as opposed to a 34 point difference. Just significant. I want all of you to keep that in mind. Uh, I appreciate all of you. I'm off now uh, to go watch my seventh grader play a basketball game. Uh, I'll be back here tomorrow with OutKick, maybe on Wednesday, uh, and then we'll be doing some shows out in Vegas on Thursday and Friday to get you ready for the Super Bowl. I'll talk more about the Super Bowl uh, tomorrow and certainly the rest of the week. OutKick's going to have a big footprint out in Vegas. Love all of you. Thank you for supporting OutKick. I'll see you tomorrow. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP.